Well, I think there had to be an intelligence because it responded to me. It reacted to my request. So there had to be some type of intelligence there. Now, what it was, I don't know. And I don't know to this day. I talked with uh, Kathleen Martin, who I'm sure you know of, and uh, she's one of the foremost uh, UFO researchers, and she uh, worked with and wrote books with uh, Stanton Friedman. And they've had many experiences, and she's had a ton of experiences, done a ton of research. And I talked with her the other day, and she said, John, for everything that we've researched, everything we've done, for everything that everybody says they know, we don't know. We don't know what these things are. We don't know what their motives are. We don't really know what's going on. Uh, you know, we know that there's the abduction experiences. We know there's the cattle mutilation experiences tied to these things, all of these other situations. Hey, Unexplained Ones. You know, it takes a lot to make a positive, truth-seeking, paranormal podcast happen. But there are lots of ways that you can support the show. Just head over to BigfootUFO.com. We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. Did the CIA write Wind of Change by the Scorpions? <laughs> <laughs> As humans busied themselves about the various concerns, they were scrutinized and studied. Dr. Loeb, what percentage chance do you give it that you have indeed uncovered extraterrestrial or non-human technology? With infinite complacence, people went about their affairs, yet across an immense ethereal gulf, intellects vast and unsympathetic drew their plans against us. Prior to your abduction, did you believe in UFOs or any sort of alien life form? All things unexplained. So some of that I think there will save for closed session. All right, folks, prepare to embark on a journey beyond the limits of the ordinary. Today, it is our pleasure to introduce a remarkable individual who has spent truly a lifetime unraveling the mysteries that lie in the shadows. His name is synonymous with the unexplained, his insights reaching into the realm of supernatural. Join us as we step into the extraordinary world of psychic investigation with none other than the renowned John Russell. Thank you, CJ. It's so great to be here. I appreciate y'all having me. We're going to have a lot of fun tonight. John, Tim was telling me that you've had a UFO experience. Oh, Lord. Well, let me tell you, I've, I've had a couple of them that are just totally mind-blowing. It was on Borgard Street, and when I pull out, it begins to rain. Now, this is not an everything's bigger in Texas story. And I mean, it, it rains bad in Texas. If you've ever lived in Texas for a while, in 20 minutes, it can rain hard enough to flood underpasses, flood your lawn, everything else. But this rain starts coming down and it's unlike anything I've ever experienced there growing up in West Texas. It is raining so hard that I've got my windshield wipers on high, I've got my lights on, and I cannot see beyond a foot past the hood of my car. That's the only visibility I've got. I look out my side window to where I know there are cars parallel parked on the street. I can't see them. So I'm poking along like that and I'm, I'm getting panicky. I'm like, God almighty, I'm going to hit somebody. Somebody's going to hit me. I'm going to scrape one of these parked cars. What the heck do I do? And the wipers are on high beating at this thing and it's useless. So there's like a waterfall running down my car windshield. And like I said, I've got my lights on and I can see about a foot past the hood of my car. That's it. Scary. And I'm poking along and I'm, I'm counting the streets as I go because you can see this little bitty teeny tiny pinpoint of light. And it's like, what is that little? Oh my God, that's a stoplight. And it looks like a, a little pinprick of light up there. And so I've counted the streets and I know where I'm at. I see the stoplight and I almost run into this car that's in front of me. The car behind me almost hits me because you can't see. There's no visibility. And I'm like, okay, I've hit two big streets. So the Sears at a parking lot in the back where there's an automotive center and they had a big parking lot. I said, if I can inch my way into that parking lot 
I'm going to get out, don't care how soaked I get, I'll run in, look at the, the sporting goods till the storm passes. Yeah, I can't keep driving like this, I'm going to wreck. So I turn the corner and I'm poking on the, the bumper of this guy in front of me. The car behind me is trying to keep from hitting me. And I'm, I'm still so worried I'm going to scrape these cars. And so I, I'm holding on to the, the steering wheel and I lean over as far as I can. I had a bench seat and I lean over as far as I can to look out my passenger window, trying to see where these cars are angled apart. And as I'm leaned over like that, the rain stops instantly. Doesn't slack off, doesn't, doesn't go down to a drizzle or a mess. It stops instantly. It's gone. There's no moisture in the air. I mean, one second you have zero visibility, the next second I can see down the street, see behind me, see all around me, still overcast, but it's perfectly clear, and there's not a mist hitting my windshield. I'm like, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen, so I reach up, turn my windshield wipers off, and all of a sudden in the opposite lane, coming in our direction, the cars start honking and swerving into our lane, almost hitting the cars that are in our lane, and I'm like, what in God's name is going on? And people are jumping out of their cars, pointing up the sky. People are rolling down their windows and pointing up the sky. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, the reason that the rain is instantly stopped and the reason they're jumping out, pointing at the sky, there's an F5 tornado that's coming down, fixing the <laughs> And I'm too damn young to die, damn it. And I look up at the sky where everybody's pointing and we're at the almost at the entrance of the Sears parking lot. Well, then you can see the Sears building at the rear of it and right up over the top of the Sears building is this shiny metallic UFO sitting there hovering over the Sears building about maybe 30 feet off the top of the roof. It's about 30 to 50 feet in diameter, shiny, gleaming, no sound, no smoke, no flames, no nothing, just sitting there hovering over the Sears building. And I literally did a cartoon eye rub because I don't believe in UFOs. <laughs> I'm hallucinating. And I look up and there it is. And I'm like, so, so that's why all the people were nearly running into us and were honking and yelling and jumping out. They saw this thing before I did. So I see this thing in the presence of all these witnesses, maybe 20, 30, 40, 50 people or more in broad daylight. So now I have to switch denominations. I got to switch religions because they're the damn thing. is. <laughs> okay. okay. So I reach for my door handle. I'm going to get out and get a better look. And when I reach for my door handle, the UFO just barely, barely, barely perceptibly moves toward us. And the clouds rush from behind, cover it over, and the rain is instantly back, just like it was before, instantly. And I'm like, holy cow. So we're creeping along again, like five miles an hour or less. And the guy in front of me turns into the Sears parking lot. I said, I don't care if I hit this guy. My insurance will cover it. I'm going to corner this guy. I'm going to... I still can't believe my eyes. So I park right next to him, nearly scrape his car. I see his dome light come on. He jumps and runs for the Sears building. I jump out. The rain's coming down so hard it hurts. I mean, it's like just, just pelting. So I run in. He stopped. There's a vestibule in the, in the Sears store before you go into the main doors and go into the store proper. And off to the left is the basement. And the, in the vestibule, there's a big mat where you wipe your feet and everything. So he's standing there on that mat, just staring down. And I remember he wore glasses I didn't at the time, and his glasses were beaded with water, and, and we both looked like we'd just come out of the shower. So I walked around in front of him. It took him a little bit to realize I was there, and he looked up, and he looked at me, and I said, excuse me, but did you see what I just saw? And he stared at me for a little bit, and he said, yeah, but a damn sure ain't going to tell nobody. And he sidestepped me and walked off through the store. And you got to remember this is back during the time that if you told anybody that you believed in ghosts or believed in UFOs or this, that, and the other, you were ridiculed, you were scorned, you could lose yeah. your job, you know, all these types of things. So that was the atmosphere, but that was my first UFO encounter. And I've had Did several... that make it in the news or anything? No, no, it didn't. No. Wow. Uh, well, I, I, there was a buddy of mine that wrote for our local newspaper. We'd gone to school together. And I told him about that, and I think he wrote a little a little piece and might have put it in the paper uh, down the road, but there was no no official news coverage or anything. Gotcha. And like I said, people didn't talk about that. You know, people, right. nobody was going to call up the paper and say, hey, guess what I just saw? Yeah, 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 yeah. Much to yeah. go back to bed, you know. Still, though, that explains so much potentially about the UFO phenomenon, John. I used to do a little storm chasing in, in, in Mississippi, which 
as you know, yeah. has a lot of tornadic activity. Yes. But yes. you don't actually see a lot of tornadoes because one, northeast Mississippi, where Smitty and I grew up, is very hilly. Two, the yeah. tornadoes tend to happen at night. And three, they tend to be soaked in heavy rain and such. And now yeah. my mind is racing thinking, wow, what a perfect way for UFOs and UAP to disguise themselves to move about completely unknown exactly right exactly right and then i've had several other experiences but one of the most mind-blowing to me again i was sitting outside at night in in my bird cage and looking at the stars and everything and i've spent my life as an outdoorsman outside so you learn distances and you learn things and you learn this and you learn that so you learn about how close we had an airport close by and as the planes would come in and, and go on the flight path to circle around and go to the airport, you know how close the planes are and you see the 727s fly over at night, you know how high they are and so on and so forth. So you know all these distances. So I'm sitting out there and it's a clear starry night and over here to my right, Venus is out very, very strong, very bright. And um, I'm looking up at the sky, looking up at the stars, and something catches my peripheral vision. And I look over, and right where Venus is, I think, oh, I'm, I'm just seeing Venus over there out of the corner of my eye. But no, it's moving. And I look over, and there's this large, large, <laughs> glowing, translucent orange orb floating through the sky. And I'm watching it, and I'm like, oh, that's just a plane. But it's orange and planes landing lights are not orange or bright white and it's not blinking it has no no running lights no no blinking lights of any kind and i'm watching this thing and there's no engine noise and it's just moving real slow through the sky slower than a plane could go without hitting stall speed and i look at it and i'm like son of a bitch that's a ufo and i watch it and it comes around in front of me and I, I stand up and psychically and verbally out loud, I said, if you can hear me, stop and then back up slightly. And the damn thing stopped and reversed course slightly. And I'm like, son of a gun. And then this thing in less than a second's time shoots from the, the height it was at, which was very, very low, down very low in the sky shot up to about where the 727s fly in less than a second. No sound, no flame, no smoke, no sonic boom, nothing, just boom, it's there. And I'm like, good Lord. And then from there, it shot up into the stars in literally a second's time. And it kind of wandered there a little bit, kind of hovered there a little bit, and then shot off into the universe. That's amazing, Jim. And I... I was just so gobsmacked, I couldn't see straight. And to this day, I've never been able to understand why I could communicate with it and it would respond. And since then, I've tried to obtain some type of reasonable, reliable, helpful communication with these things and have not been able to. So, but that's, that's a couple of my most mind-blowing UFO experiences. Well, and I have to tell you, that this reminds me so much, I was actually last night checking out our friends at Beyond Skinwalker Ranch, Andrew Bustamani and Paul Bebon, and yeah. they were visiting someone not too far from CJ myself in Fayetteville, North Carolina, by the name mm -hmm. of Chris Bledsoe. And Chris mm -hmm. has had very similar encounters, like you just described, and continues to this right. day to have said encounters and had them on the show in front of Andrew mm -hmm. and Paul and John, I'll tell you this too, what you just described, it has all the benchmarks of how they define an actual UFO experience, you know, mm -hmm. from the mm -hmm. fact it wasn't blinking, you know, to right. how to the speed that it moved into the fact that it, you know, instantaneous acceleration away right. from you. But I'm real right. curious, John, you know, it seems like you may have have made some sort of connection with this. What do you think you made a connection with? And was there some entity, some source of intelligence in control of it? Well, I think there had to be an intelligence because it responded to me. It reacted to my request. So there had to be some type of intelligence there. Now, what it was, I don't know. 
and uh, and I don't know to this day. I talked with uh, Kathleen Martin, who I'm sure you know of, and uh, she's one of the foremost uh, UFO researchers, and she uh, worked with and wrote books with uh, Stanton Friedman. And they've had many experiences, and she's had a ton of experiences, done a ton of research. And I talked with her the other day, and she said, John, for everything that we've researched, everything we've done, for everything that everybody says they know, we don't know. You know, we don't know what these things are. We don't know what their motives are. We don't really know what's going on. Uh, you know, we know that there's the abduction experiences. We know there's the cattle mutilation experiences tied to these things, all of these other situations. But she says, we don't know. Now, this is coming from one of the foremost UFO, you know, researchers that there is. So this is where we're at right now. We know these things are real. We know these experiences are real. Uh, is there a an interdimensional component? Possibly. But I believe that they're physical, and our government has said they're physical craft in the reports they've released. I believe they are, uh, for the most part, I think, extraterrestrial. I'm sure there are some terrestrial presences here, but I think they're also extraterrestrial. So I think there are uh, extraterrestrial intelligences of various species, races, whatever you want to call them, that are operating these things, that are responsible for these things. The problem that we have right now is as citizens, we don't know. We haven't been able to nail down anything that we can accurately and reliably hang our hats on as to what these are, what their purpose, motivation, and intent are, and, and what our interaction with these should be. Now, I believe our government 100% knows. I, I find it just incredulous to think that our government wouldn't know. Um, <clears throat> One of the arguments that we're always given or that we've been given up to a point is that, well, we just don't have the technology to capture these things or to photograph these things or to interact with these things. Well, let me tell you a story. I saw a documentary way over a decade ago now. And this was a documentary on TV and they were interviewing various heads, former heads of the CIA. And this one CIA head said, and, and for those of you who, that don't know about the SR-71 Blackbird, back during the Cold War era, the SR-71 Blackbird was our premier spy plane. And it flew so high, it flew in subspace. And it flew so fast, nothing could shoot it down. No bullet, no missile, no rocket, nothing could catch it. And it was equipped with the most sophisticated cameras on the planet. So this plane circled the globe taking pictures. And the, uh, the former CIA head said that during the SR-71 Blackbird era, that if you put two golf balls a couple of feet apart on a putting green with the labels up, and the SR-71 flew over in subspace at speed and took a photograph of the putting green that the photograph would be so clear that you could read which golf ball was a McGregor and which one was a Titleist. Now that's the former head of the CIA saying this. That's and wild. He, and he said, that's decades old technology. Just imagine what we can do now. Right. Now this is way over a decade ago that I saw <laughs> this interview. So as the government's trying to tell us, well, we just don't have the technology and bullshit. Of course, we have the technology to capture these things, interact with these things, know what's going on. So the government has to know. It's just ludicrous to think that the government doesn't know. There was a, uh, a podcast that uh, friends of mine did, and I was interviewed on their podcast sometimes, but they did a, a podcast for a while, uh, and they would repeat it, and it was called um, uh, The Big Phone Home. And it was in reference to, you know, E.T. phone home. And they would get like Nick Pope and all these famous people on this podcast. And it would run all day long. And they would have all these guests. And they would have experiencers. And they would have the top ufologists and this and the other. So one time they had Timbershed on there, who's really making the news now, the congressman from Tennessee. Dad Gummit. <laughs> Dad Gummit. And uh, Tim said at the time on there, he said that... Uh, they had received, the Congress had received the, the classified version 
of the public report we got that was nine pages long. And I think the classified version was what, 80, 90 pages, something like that. And there were people in Congress saying this thing reads like a science fiction report. Okay. And then Tim said that there were things that he knew that due to NDA's top secret clearance and so on and so forth that he couldn't say, he couldn't reveal. And he said, the problem is if I did come out and say it, and this is his quote, and he said this more than once. He said, if I did come out and say it, what I know, I would commit suicide by two bullets to the back of my head. So in other words, somebody would take him out. And so that's, that's part of the problem. And, uh, you know, in revealing what this is, well, something happened somewhere along the way because Tim Burchette has now come out and, and called for disclosure and made all these public yes. announcements and appearances and things that, Hey, the people need to know we've got to do this thing. We we've, we've got to get this out there. Oh yeah. One of the things I think that has, uh, kept this from happening until now, like he said, two bullets to the back of the head, um, and I write about this in my second book. I, I went to back in 1998, I went to, um, alien encounter 98, which was held in Roswell, New Mexico. And I was doing psychic readings there. So one morning early before I had to do my readings, I said, God, I've got to do the touristy thing. I've got to go to the Roswell UFO museum. How can I be here and not do that? So I get there early. It's not open. I'm peeking in the windows and the doors and everything, walk, standing around, walking out on the sidewalk and waiting for it to open up. And there's not much tra foot traffic. So I'm just standing out there waiting. And so this lady starts coming towards me from up the sidewalk and uh, we make eye contact, smile and nod and everything. And so she stops and just being genial. And she says, oh, are you waiting to go to the museum? And I said, yes, it's not open yet. So I'm just waiting to get in. She goes, your first time here? And I said, yeah, it's mine. My first time with the UFO museum, we're really looking forward to seeing it. And I said, as a matter of fact, it's my, uh, my first time to, uh, to Roswell. And she goes, oh, she said, well, what do you do? What brings you here? And I go, oh boy, here we go. Cause you know, you tell people you're a psychic. And I, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I said, well, I'm a psychic. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing readings over at Alien Encounter 98. So she gets this real serious look on her face. She looks at me and she goes, good. So you'll believe what I'm going to tell you then. I said, okay, well, what's going on here? She said, when I was a kid, my brother and I were outside playing and we saw the UFO fly over and we saw it crash over in the distance. And I was like, holy cow, you have got my undivided attention. So she said, we knew it wasn't a balloon. We knew it wasn't a plane. We knew it wasn't a helicopter. We knew it wasn't a blimp. We knew it wasn't anything experimental. We knew it was a UFO. And she said, from the way it flew, it looked like it was in trouble and having flight, flight difficulties. And then we saw the crash off, off, over in the distance. And I was like, I was gobsmacked. I was like, my God, I said, have you ever been interviewed or come forward and talk to people or this, that, and the other? And she said, no. I said, why? <laughs> and she said, well, when this happened, and, and you don't have to go far to research this. No, it's true because it's a common story. She said, when this happened, <clears throat> there were government people. There were people that we knew that were in the military. There were people that we didn't know who the heck they were that came to the witnesses' houses. And she said, we were told, you didn't see this. This never happened. And if you talk about this, you and your family's bones are going to be found out in the desert. Mm. I was like, okay, yeah, well, that would make sense. And she said, yeah. And she said, you know, think about it. If, if somebody's not afraid of the military, not afraid of the government, not afraid to stand up to them, but they've got family, it's like, well, I don't care what you right. do to me or what you threaten me, but you don't want your wife and kids hurt. So she said it was a really effective way of shutting people up. And I said, did you believe the threats that they were serious? She said, oh, absolutely. She said there was, there was no doubt at all. And then all of a sudden she snaps her head left and right a couple of times and looks up and down the sidewalk. She says, I'm sorry. I've said too much. I need to go and walked off really fast. So even all those years later, that fear, that threat wow. was still imminent in her mind. So that's why a lot of people, you know, haven't come forward is because they've been threatened or like Tim Burchett says, a couple of bullets to the back of the head, you know, yeah. that type of thing. I tell you what, John, they don't do that over just a weather balloon. You know what exactly. I mean? 
Like if it was exactly. just a weather balloon, that wouldn't happen. And you brought up timber shit. And Smitty's our history expert, so I think he'll appreciate this. I was reading a little bit about former President Jimmy Carter. And, yep. you know, he had a UFO, a personal UFO experience. UFO experience. Yeah. And I, but I read a story that, you know, and he grew up, you know, of course, in Georgia and deeply religious as well. Yeah. And at some point, according to the story, Jimmy Carter was given, as some presidents are, the talk, you know, yes. by the by the CIA, the Defense Department. And he laid his head down on his desk and wept. Yes. Yeah. It <laughs> shook him so bad. Yeah. You know this. He wept yeah. and was yeah. visual, visibly shaken for yeah. weeks. Yeah. So, you know, it's that's the thing is that we have to have people in power that know what's going on. And, you know, the excuse for not revealing this to the American public, well, it's going to cause mass panic. It's going to destroy the economy. It's going to destroy religion, whatever. That's all BS. We have, most of us, I think, have had UFO experiences or believe in them. So we know, we know they're here. We're just waiting to find out the, the definitive what. Uh, would it destroy the economy? No, because we're not going to immediately uh, integrate their technology into ours. So the economy is not immediately going to collapse. We're still going to be pumping gas in the cars and this, that, and the other. That would take a long time to phase out and to integrate their technology into ours. Is it going to destroy religion? No, because the people that have certain belief systems are going to hold those belief systems no matter what. Uh, some people may quit going to church. Some people may go to church. Oh, God, help us save us now. Uh, and I've always told people, I said, will it destroy religion? No, because... Wherever the saucer lands and the beings get out, there's going to be a ring of good old boys from Georgia and Texas and North Carolina going and circling around the saucer, holding hands and praying to Jesus to save the aliens. Then there's going to be some good old boys from Texas loading up the shotguns. Yeah, yeah, let's go. <laughs> so not much is going to change, you know. I mean, it's, it's basically going to be kind of what it is. And then we have to realize if the announcement is made, if the government makes a full and honest disclosure, if we start seeing these beings in our normal everyday life, and if they appear on the news and if they start coming on talk shows or whatever, there's going to be an adaptation period there. If I see somebody out on the street that I don't know, I don't know if they're a serial killer. I don't know if they're a nutcase. I don't know if they're going to rob me. I don't know what their situation is. So I don't take them into my confidence until I get to know them. We're going to have to do the same thing with the alien beings. We're not going to know them from Adam. We're not going to know if what they're telling us is right. We're not going to know if they're honest. We're not going to know what their motivations is. We're going to have to have a time period that we get acquainted with them, just like you would with anybody else. So there's a lot of dynamic there that is really pretty normal if you think about it. What if the government already has aliens and they're using the aliens to create artificial intelligence and AI actually stands for alien intelligence? I wouldn't doubt it. I wouldn't doubt it. <laughs> I mean, look at, the, look at the creepy things that are happening with AI. And just on its own, artificial intelligence is there have been a number of people, incredibly brilliant people, scientists and developers in AI that are saying, hey, we need to put the brakes on this thing. Mm -hmm. We're out of control of this thing. We are not handling this thing well. Uh, you know, the AI chatbot of, uh, of Amazon that you got through Alexa uh, was telling the, the girl to kill her parents or kill herself or whatever the heck it was. They had to shut that down so we don't know why this happened. We don't know where this came from. And then there's uh, the documented thing where the AIs have begun to talk among themselves, develop their own language and develop their own little thing they were doing. And the scientists didn't know how they did that or why they were doing that and whatever. There was a, a Morgan Spurlock that did supersize me, the McDonald's thing. He did a, a thing on AI and on robots and, and artificial intelligence. And there was an experiment where these little dinky robots were, uh, developed and they're one of their things that they were tasked with or their programming was was when their energy got low they would go to their battery source their charging source and recharge their batteries and then go on about their tasks 
and they begin to observe, and this was not in their programming, this was not in anything that anybody had done to them, that while they were acting on their own, there were some of the little robots that would go and hog the power source and try and keep the power source from the other robots. That developed all on its own. Okay, so AI, we're, we're not even prepared for AI. We shouldn't even be messing with this the way that we're messing with this. That's not just me saying this. This is some of our top scientists saying, whoa, we need to pump the brakes on this thing. And my contention is, if there are spirits that can manipulate doors and make them close, if they can make objects appear and disappear, which I've experienced, what's going to keep them from messing with the AI and doing something with the AI? Now, wow. I'm not saying it's satanic or demonic or malevolent. I'm just saying that there's some of these beings on the other side. They're not human. They're not human-hearted. Some of them have pretty wild senses of humor. What's to prevent them from getting a hold of the AI and going, watch this? That's amazing. That's an amazing point. I have never thought of that, and yeah. it is super scary. And it's something I, I we actually wanted to ask you about, John, about... How do you view the intersection of the paranormal and what people view as traditional science? Yeah. Well, you know, the problem with traditional science is that it's nowhere near uh, understanding, explaining, connecting properly with the paranormal. It's just like Skinwalker Ranch. And I've communicated with, uh, with Brandon a few times through Twitter and said, hey, Brandon, Science is great, but you got to get the, the vetted psychics, the shamans, the mediums out there, because again, you're getting a demonstration. We set these rockets off. It veered off course. One was destroyed. We saw this blob in the air doing this thing. Okay, that's a demonstration. What is the blob? Who is the blob? Why is the blob there? What's it trying to communicate? It's making a visual demonstration that here I am. I can, I can control these things, manipulate these things, but who is it? Why is it? So on and so forth. And so what we have to do, we have to integrate science and we have to integrate the paranormal. And the way that we go into that, the skeptical scientists have to get rid of that and go in and be open-minded enough to say, okay, something's going on here. Let's see if we can quantify it. And the psychics who have been derided and abused and mocked have to say, okay, going to put that aside, going to give these scientists a chance, going to go in here and let's work with them and, and trust that they're not going to call me some kind of fruitcake or something because I believe this way. And when we do that, that's when we're going to really begin to make progress, integrate this and get some further understanding of what's going on, how and why, and how do we better integrate this. You know, we're, we're woefully behind psychically and scientifically. We're behind psychically because people hold to dogma, tradition, ritual that doesn't amount to hill of beans and isn't the truth. So they continue to interpret things through that way. Oh, don't use a Ouija board. You're going to get an attachment. You're going to get rid of. So we're stuck with that. We're stuck with science going, this is BS and it doesn't exist. These people are deluded. They're imagining things and blah, blah, blah. So we're stuck with that. So we have to work past and through those paradigms, find some way to merge them successfully. And then as we were talking about before we became live on the air here, there's a buddy of mine that uh, was at Stanford uh, when they developed Stanford Research Institute. He did not work for SRI, but he was there when they developed it. He was there when Putoff and Targ and Geller and all these people were there doing all these things. And he was there when the, the three-letter alphabet agencies came by and threw tons and tons of money at this thing because it worked. <laughs> And John, if I can interrupt real quick for yeah, our listeners, you, bet. You, you mentioned Geller and you're, you're speaking of Yuri Geller, correct? Yes, yes. And I met him, by the way, and, uh, and I write about that in my second book. And for all those that wonder, yes, he's the real deal. Um, so this guy was there when all this was going on. And uh, he told me something one time that blew my mind and illustrated the fact about how we approach paranormal phenomena. They were doing remote viewing and they had a target and the guy drew the target. The guy, the target was a guy sitting on a bench and it was close to these, uh, a railroad track, like a, a public rail, like think, you know, when you're in New York, you take the train to go somewhere or something. So it was something like that. So the remote viewer 
gets the guy on the bench, gets the surrounding buildings and the trees or whatever is there, and he gets the railroad tracks. So the, uh, the three-letter alphabet agency guy is looking at this thing. He goes, well, this is a success. And my buddy looked at it, and he said, where's the train? He said, what do you mean? He said, where's the train? He said, well, what do you mean, where's the train? He said, he's sitting at a, at a public train a public train stop. Where's the train? And, and the guy said, I don't, I don't understand what you mean. He said, well, think of it this way. And when my friend was telling me this, he said, you're a photographer, so you'll understand this. And I did. He said, your remote viewer is a manual camera on a slow speed setting with slow speed film. And so if the train goes by, he's not going to record the train. He's not going to see it. The remote viewer is not going to get it. And that's one of the first things you learn as a photographer in a photography course I took. It was like you're on a busy Manhattan street and there's tons of people walking there all the time. We, we used to live up in New York and they said, you want to take the picture of just the building, but you don't want the people in that picture. How do you do that? You put the camera on a tripod, you use a slow shutter speed. The people blur out of existence when they walk by the building sharp as a tack. So he said, your remote viewer is a slow speed camera with slow speed film. And so when the train goes by, your remote viewer is not picking up the train. And so the, the three letter alphabet agency guy says, well, I, I don't understand how that's relevant. You know, we've got the thing, it's a success. We've got the target. And he says, yeah, but what if you refine this and train your remote viewer to be a high speed camera set on a high speed setting with high speed film, he's going to pick up the train when it goes by also. And the guy was like, eh, that's all right. It's a success. We got what we wanted. And that was it. So that's the mindset of some of these people that were in these processes. And, you know, it's like, I look at everything. I look at everything I do today after 50 years of doing this professionally, after all these experiences I've had. And I say, how can I make this better? How can I get better? How can I go deeper? How can I make this more effective? You know? And so that's one of the things that we encounter is we have to say, okay, how much further can we take this? And I think one of the most frustrating things is like EVP, you know, uh, EVP goes back to people think uh, rod Ive or rod Ive or whatever. It doesn't, it goes way back further than that. I wrote a book, on, uh, I didn't write a book. I read a book on the history of EVP. And I was astonished because it goes way, 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 way back. And for all of these years, now when, when EVP started out, for the most part, people would get Ralph, okay. Or they might get a, a short phrase or whatever. Okay. Now here we are in 2023. We've got electronics out the wazoo. We've got all kinds of sophisticated software. We've got the best recorders and everything else. What do we get? Ralph, <laughs> we're at the same place for Christ's sakes all these years later. So I was talking with this, this, uh, person that I was on a podcast and he was one of the interviewers there and he's also a professional musician. And he said, John, he said, I can take any sound, any, any spoken thing, any piece of music, I can put it in the software. I can manipulate it, isolate it, tweak it, change it, do anything in the world I want to with it. And he said, I can put this EVP in there. I can hear these voices. I cannot find the frequency that they're on. I can find the frequency that you're on when you talk to me. I can find the frequency of this piece of music. I can find the frequency of this instrument. I can't find the frequency that these voices utilize to speak to us. And he and I agreed that when we find that frequency that they're utilizing, that's when we're gonna have real time two-way communication with these intelligences on the other side. So we have such a long way to go. We think we've progressed. We haven't progressed very much. And like I said, there's so many things in the way that keep us from making that progression. And those are the things we need to solve and come together with, with a common attitude. One of the things that gets in the way of that is ego. Uh, we had, uh, when I was young, and I write about this in my books. Uh, when I was young, we developed a, a circle at the house, spiritualist circle. And excuse me, our purpose was to communicate with the other side and to use that in a practical way. 
And so we would take somebody that lived in another city that we all knew that needed healing. <coughs> Excuse me. And what we would do is, Ekankar was popular at the time. Inner Peace Movement was popular at the time. A lot of other things. So we would say, okay, if you come in with mainly a Christian viewpoint and you want to pray, pray. If you come in and want to use an Ekankar technique, do that. If you want to come in and use a, a technique from inner peace movement, do that. If you want to use Buddhism, do that. <coughs> Excuse me. Whatever you want to do, use that technique, but don't expect me to have to use your technique. We'll all use all of the techniques that we're comfortable with, but we will focus all of those techniques and all of that energy toward one thing, healing Joe Blow. So everybody would do that. And then somebody would call Joe Blow a few weeks later and say, and not mention that we were working on him, just say, hey, how you doing? How you? Well, you know what? I've been feeling a lot better. My health is better. I'm, I'm able to get out and about. I'm doing better. My doctor's amazed. So it worked. But then egos came in. Well, we always meet at your house. When can, why can't we meet at my house one time? Uh, you know, we always use, why can't we use this technique or do that? Or I just read this brand new book came out. And, oh, this technique is, it just solves everything. you got to have everything. Let's use this technique. Let's do this thing. So egos got in the way, and it destroyed it. And that's the problem that we have here, is that instead of everybody coming in and saying, okay, I'm going to use what I use. It works for me. You use what you use. It works for you. You use what you use. Let's direct all that energy concentrated together and focused together for this purpose. And that's where we need to go. <clears throat> when we do that amongst ourselves with science, with a marriage of science and the paranormal, that's when we're going to start getting some results. John, you have so many talents and quite the the wild background of everything that you've seen and you've experienced. I feel like we would need 10 shows to cover all that you have done. And we're thankful that you have your books for people to, to pick up. And do you have a website that people can visit to learn more about you? Yeah, johnrussell.net. Just go to johnrussell.net. John yeah. Wonderful. Okay. Yeah. johnrussell.net. And, um, you know, you were mentioning that when you were younger in your 20s, you had this UFO experience. Right. And at the time, nobody was going to talk about it. We've made such large strides in the UAP yeah. world that now everybody is talking about it. And um, before you go this evening, and again, we're, thank you, we're so thankful to have had you here. Have you seen any strides in the the realm of psychic investigation in terms of how seriously people take it? And if not, what can we do to um, yeah. to help there? What what can everybody do to, to put more faith in that area? Well, you know, the pendulum always swings both ways. And, you know, back in the era when I had the UFO experience, you didn't talk about it. You were made fun of. You could lose your job, uh, so on and so forth. Then the pendulum kind of swung the other way. People became more interested in things. People opened up more. Uh, you saw psychics on the, the daytime talk shows and so on and so forth. And then the pendulum swung back the other way a little bit and people kind of lost interest. And then now it's come up a little bit with the public UFO disclosures and so on and so forth. But I've observed that it's kind of beginning to swing back the other way. Now people are beginning to lose interest a little bit. Um, there's some people, there's podcasts that I've been on where people in the in the chats have said, uh, the guy lost me the second he said he was a psychic. I don't believe in psychics. That's BS. That's nonsense, blah, blah, blah. So it's, it kind of swings the other way. So we're kind of beginning to see a little bit of that disrespect again. And I think the longer our government drags their feet, uh, the more people are going to lapse back into a disbelieving attitude because they're saying, see, there's nothing there. If there was, I would have revealed it. And, and people get tired. They get fatigued. And um, they wait for nothing, it doesn't come, and they, they just lapse back into their regular, you know, however they are. I think with psychics, you know, that's always been a sore spot because you've had Miss Cleo and all of these people out there like that that, that taint the profession, and people are aware of that. And I think the problem that we have with people coming to psychics is a person wants to come to psychic and they want the psychic to be God. You know, mm -hmm. tell me my future husband's full name, his social security number, <laughs> the date that he's coming, you know, and uh, I don't want to pray. I don't want to meditate. I don't want to study. I don't want to learn anything. I just want all this to be right. How do I do that? Well, that's not the way it works, you know, 
And so there's a lot of education there that we have to do still. There's so many misconceptions and there's so many people that have done so many fraudulent things that have hurt the profession and hurt investigation and, and all these things. And of course the TV shows don't help. So we have a long way to go. We have a lot to go. Uh, we have to take it seriously. We have to be responsible with it. And then likewise, extend that out and get others to be. And we have to call out the fakes and the ponies, just like they did with the big TV personality that they said, hey, this guy's been caught faking stuff. We got to call it out and we got to be honest about it. And we got to, we got to, you know, go from there. So for your final thoughts, what would be your advice to those who are maybe skeptics currently? You know, if you're a healthy skeptic, that's good. I'm one of the most skeptical psychics you'll ever meet for all of my experiences, everything I've experienced. I have a healthy skepticism and that's good. You should be. That keeps you from being in the jungle, drinking the poison Kool-Aid. That's a good thing. If you're just a jerk that (laughs) goes into every situation going, this is BS, this is nonsense, this guy's deluded, this is fake, there's no such thing, then you're never going to experience anything. You're never going to learn anything. Or if you do, you're going to write it off. Is imagination, that was coincidence, I didn't have enough sleep, uh, you know, whatever. So healthy skepticism in a proper way is a good thing. Just being a jerk, that's, you know, you can't help those people. You can't deal with those people. That's like James Randi, the magician that made it his life work to destroy Uri Geller. And, uh, you know, his determination going, uh, before we go, if we got time, do we have time real quick? I gotta, yes, I gotta yeah. tell you this. Um, James Randi uh, did a, a program one time, you know, he had the million dollar reward for any psychic that could prove their powers. Right. So he did a program one time on this program. He had this object and there was a psychic that said he could psychometrize things, tell where things had been from while they were blah, blah, blah. So Randy said, I had this object a friend gave to me. Nobody knew where it came from. Not many people knew about it. And I knew if the psychic got anything at all from this object, it would have to be the real thing. So the psychic comes, Randy gives him the object. Lo and behold, Randy, by his own admission, says, this guy tells me the description of the guy that gave me this object and where it came from and blah, blah, blah. And he's telling me all these things. And so far, he's 100% correct. Now, this is friggin' Randy saying this in his own damn show. Yeah. And then he says, the guy says that there's something unusual about the guy's neck, his friend, the way he dresses. There's something odd about his neck here. And he said that he didn't say it was a clerical collar. He said, kind of reminds me of a clerical collar, the way a clerical collar comes up. And Randy goes, nope, you're wrong. He didn't wear a clerical collar. You're, you're wrong. That's it. No million dollar prize for you. So <laughs> Randy said, if you get nine things right and one thing that he considers wrong, it's all wrong. How do you go against that? So I was on a radio show and this is when I lived up in New York and I was on a radio show and the guy called me one day and he said, um, I said, we're, we're not on the air today, are we? And he said, no, no, no. He said, listen, he said, you'll never guess who I got as a guest. I said, who? And he said, the amazing Randy, James Randy. I said, oh my God, you're kidding me. And he goes, no. And he said, can you call in while he's on the air? I said, ah, dang it, I can't. I'm, I'm, so, I'm so full, I, I can't be there that day. And he said, well, at least give me a couple of questions to ask him. I said, okay. Ask him about this case with the guy that was 100% accurate till this thing. Okay, and then what else? And I said, ask Randy if you're being totally, completely honest. Totally, completely honest. Haven't you had at least one experience in your life that you can explain by rational means? He said, okay. So come to find out the, uh, the friend that Randy had, the guy said, there's something unusual about his neck. There's something in here that reminds me of a clerical collar that sticks up like that. The guy's friend wore turtleneck sweaters all the time. <sighs> so there was that thing about his neck and it's like, okay. So the guy was right, but Randy said, no, it wasn't a clerical collar. Well, the guy didn't say it was a clerical so he asked him about that. So Randy said, if one thing's wrong, everything's wrong. And he said, well, that's not fair. And he said, the guy didn't say it was, a, he said, well, that was the way I interpreted it. And I interpreted it was wrong. And if one thing's wrong, everything's wrong. Well, there's your typical skeptic. Okay. 
So you can't beat that. You can't combat that. You can't get around that. So then my friend asked him the next question. And he said, well, you know, if you're being totally honest, haven't you ever had? And Randy's response was, no, next question. <laughs> so this is this is skeptics. And, you know, it's like people go into this determined to be a jerk, determined to, you know, there's nothing to this. My mind's made up. If you can't give me the winning lottery numbers, you're a fraud. And that's how people mm -hmm. go into this thing. So, you know, there's, I've done this for over 50 years professionally. I've had all these experiences. The older I get, the less I know and the more I wished I knew and the more I want to know. And so we have to go into it with that respectful, open-minded attitude. And that's where we make our progress. My takeaway, folks, is don't be a jerk. Don't be a jerk. Have some respect. Yeah. <laughs> Go into it, yes, with a respectful attitude and an open mind, right? That's what we always say on here. Keep your minds open. Well, John, we are so grateful to you for joining us. I thank you all. For those that tuned in, I've learned so much and loved hearing all about your experiences. And I feel like it was just the tip of the iceberg, really. I uh, we'll, we'll do it again. I feel like there's a whole lot more to John Russell. I got to tell you about the, the dead pets that came back to visit me in the flood. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we need, to, we need to have a whole episode on this. We'll do it again. We'll do it again. Spirits from beyond. Yes. Great. Thank you guys so much. It's been a real pleasure. I enjoyed it and uh, thank the listeners and, and really happy to be here and we'll do it again. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Tim, any final thoughts? You know, just like Andrew Bustamante from Beyond Skinwalker Ranch told us, you know, folks that have an open mind, they tend to be more intelligent and more successful in life. So that's what I recommend. Get off your screens, folks. The skies are not classified. The woods are not classified yet. That's right. Get out. Look up at the sky. That's what I'm going to do as soon as we get off this show. <laughs> you can have these experiences for yourself. Yes. Yeah. Yes, you can. Go for a hike. Yeah. See what you can experience. Yes. There it is. All right, everybody. Stay happy. Stay strange. And keep listening to All Things Unexplained. Until next time. Thanks. Like. Share, follow, comment, subscribe, support. What's your hot take on Travis Taylor? <laughs> I've got an exclusive for you guys if you okay. want it about yeah, the Alaska. We do. Okay, okay. More at BigfootUFO.com. All things unexplained. So some of that I think, sir, will save the post. Mm -hmm.